0: everyone here. Thanks again. David Warnsch. This is the Authentic Dad Podcast where we inspire fathers to flourish in their relationships and live a more authentic life. Today I'm joined by Dave Sanders. Dave has a really sad and tragic story. A lot of real tragedy has happened in his life. However, he also has a very inspiring story about him and his wife and his family kind of dealt with all of these crises In an amazing way, and I wanted to have him because I think it's inspiring, and I think for anyone out there dealing with crisis, especially with their children, he's a wonderful resource and a wonderful mentor, and there's a lot of hope in the story, so really glad he joined me today. Reach me at further.coach, F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach. I can be reached on Instagram, further underscore coaching. TikTok, further coaching. As always, I do a free 30 minute discovery call. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you very much for your support. So I'm here with Dave Sanders. And Dave, if you don't mind, let me read your biography here. It says that he has been Becky's husband for 36 years, the father of two daughters who are happy and productive college graduates and citizens. Having lived overseas as a young teenager, he has a deep appreciation for other cultures and has passed on his love of travel to his wife and daughters. And he's recently retired. He was a partner at Ernst & Young. He worked across the globe advising major companies on large projects. And uh, he formed a consultant company, consulting company, his retirement. And your story is fascinating and amazing. And we'll get into that. But what struck me is that the first line of your bio is that you have been Becky's husband for 36 years, which that has to be an intentional first line. Tell me why you chose that.
1: Well, hey, David. Um, you know, uh,
0: And thanks for, thanks for joining me, by the way. Oh,
1: sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, my wife's been just... An incredible rock in my life. Um, she's an unbelievable person. Um, I'm so glad that she agreed. Outside, she says it was outside of a dumpster in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, for her to marry me. But I don't remember it that way. I thought it was a little better than that, a little more elegant than that. But um, uh, we we've been together through some tough stuff, and she's just an amazing person. She's, you know, she's a counselor for at-risk kids in the city of Detroit, which is a tough job.
0: Yeah, it just really struck me because when people give me their bio, I think this is the first time that the first line was "I'm," you know, the husband of this person. So that I love that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to take that. Yeah, you
1: can. Just pay me a quarter every time you use it.
0: Yeah, Um, I will. I will. (laughs) So your story is fascinating, compelling, inspiring. But I will let's start. Like, tell me, you're retired now. You were a consultant. Tell me how you landed where you are just start from the beginning i think that's people just need to hear this
1: yeah you know i was a, i was an engineer i worked for ibm and uh i was actually putting robots and plants around the world it was a really fun job uh and my wife and i got married pretty young uh we were living in, in outside of raleigh in north carolina uh in chapel hill college town and um we really uh began to travel on and really had a uh, really great life as a young married couple. We moved to Boston, spent a couple years in Boston, and then came back to Michigan where we were both from. And um, I started in graduate school and, and we both were uh, you know, happy and, and uh, fairly newly married. And um, uh, we started uh, thinking about a family and had uh, our first pregnancy. Um, and it all kind of, my end of graduate school, I was going at night in Ann Arbor. And uh, having our first daughter kind of came together at the same time.
0: And so was, how old were you? You're going to graduate school at night. You're having your first child.
1: Yeah, there was a lot going on. I was about 30. at About that 30 point. years old. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and we've been married about five, six years. Uh, started a little late on kids, though we got married pretty young. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we went in for a normal delivery. You know, we did all the things that young parents do, Lamaze class and taking care of each other and eating well and all that. And we went in uh, to have our first daughter just a few days before her due date, the day after Christmas, 1990. I remember it really well. And, uh, and we had a birth accident with our first daughter. Um, things went wrong right at birth. You know, there was a lot going on, not a lot going on in the hospital, obviously the day after Christmas. And, um, and things began to get really, really bad right at birth. and um, And our daughter was born dead. Uh, she was born dead, but revived. And I remember seeing her being wheeled down, calling for blood. It was really, you know, this this incredible shock because uh, we went in for a normal delivery. And what we found out is that she had lost about two-thirds of her blood. So she had massive blood transfusion and was revived. But at that point, the damage had been done. So she uh, she had a major seizure disorder, which immediately kicked in. She, um, uh, she had cerebral palsy. Uh, she lost her sight at six months. And, uh, and you know, we met uh, a doctor, the, uh, her, her pediatric neonatologist, the, the, her first day of living. And he said, she won't know who you are, be able to walk or talk. And that was a brutal, brutal reality and set us in a, you know, a, a, the arc of our lives in a different direction. But he was right you know, no matter how brutal it was, he was right, I think, set us, um, with an expectation that we need to kind of prepare and get ready. So that, that really set our lives off differently. And you know, we never knew any people that had disabilities, uh, hadn't been exposed to that world, whether that was good or bad, we just hadn't. And so all of a sudden we were you know two parents of a child with very severe uh, disabilities. Uh, she was in the hospital for a long time. And, uh, and uh, just to kind of give you an idea how, how severe it was, we, we brought her back home after about 30 days. And she couldn't keep, and this is winter in Michigan, obviously, it's pretty cold. She just couldn't keep her temperature up, right? Those are things that you and I do. We just don't even think about our body temperature. She just couldn't, her body temperature kept dropping, so we had to bring her back. And, and um, you know, it was a really, really shocking way to start a family uh, with, a, with our daughter, who we, uh, you know, were really, really loved right? Um, so that's, that was the beginning,
0: David. And what was that conversation like between you and your wife when you learned that news? Yeah. And, like, what, tell me where yeah. you. I remember
1: exactly when we talked for the first time after she had um, she had uh, we had an emergency C-section. She was laying on a on a um, hospital bed in a hallway, getting ready to go into a room, and uh, a nurse brought me back there handed me a card, which I keep in my wallet and says the time of birth. And, and she said, she'll pray for our baby and started to cry. This was the nurse. Mm. And, uh, and it was tearful. I mean, a lot, a lot of, a lot of tears. Uh, and they, uh, you know, it wasn't, it was just the beginning. Right. Uh, so we knew something was wrong and we knew it was, uh, obviously super traumatic and we, but we did not know the status of mm-hmm. uh, you know was she going to live um you know what the world was going to be like so i remember going home that night becky stayed in the, hot, had to stay in the hospital i stayed for a long time we weren't able to see shelby till the next morning but i went home that night and i remember just thinking about you know how, how you think about the future uh and all the plans that we had, had all seemed to be in doubt right and uh, to really begin to categorize in my mind, what did we need to begin to do short term and medium term, long term to begin to think about our, our new life, not that we expected any of it. And I, you know, I've talked to a lot of families who've had children where they, where they knew that they were going to have an issue. I don't think it makes it any easier for us. It just all happened in a very compressed period of time. But
0: That's I, what I was thinking. Not that you ever know, but in your situation, as you said, the pregnancy was going fine. Perfect. Yeah. Up until that point, yeah. so you bring her home. After being in the hospital for 30 days, you hear this brutal, um, uh, assessment by the doctor, which ended up being accurate. Yeah. She goes back into the hospital and then kind of walk me through what life was like after that.
1: Well, she had a very floppy cerebral palsy, And right? she didn't have the ability to, uh, see an object and grasp it. She had sight for a while. She, she ended up losing her, her sight because of a cortical brain issue. Um, so she couldn't, she, she at first tracked a little bit, and then we kind of threw the tracking out. Um, and what we knew is we had uh, you know, a situation where we weren't gonna you know, measure our daughter's progress against any other metric, right? Uh, all the charts and all the stuff you, you know, parents get obsessed about didn't really matter for us. And so uh, she, uh, she went in the hospital a lot. Mm-hmm. Because of her, of her CP and because of her seizures, I guess two things. One, we found out that you know medicine a lot is very smart people doing some trial and error, and uh, you know there's it's hard because her situation is totally unique. Um, and then with uh, with cerebral palsy, the the kind she had, she she got pneumonia a lot. She got sick a lot. So we were in the hospital not every week, but almost every week doing blood draws, and. Uh, Um, You know, this went on for a a few years, trying to stabilize her meds. Um, And I was really lucky. I I ended up changing my schedule at Michigan. Finished, uh, and I was able to to really recalibrate my schedule. And I went back to IBM. I didn't really have any intent to do that, but they were awesome. You know, so I worked for an employer where we had uh, you know a lot of support. That doesn't happen a lot. The other thing that, that we were able to do is get her into a, a school, a public school, for very severely disabled kids. And we were lucky we lived in a part of uh, the country that had great support for kids of severe disabilities. And then we got them to learn a lot about other families and what they were going through. And uh, you know, what we had not really seen in, in the world, uh, right. we found out there's a whole subculture of families that deal with kids with very severe disabilities.
0: And we yeah. So up did, until that point, you hadn't met them until you yeah,
1: went. No exposure at all. So we, we were very fortunate that we were able to research and get support. Now this is, you know, very early internet, mm-hmm. not a lot online. So a lot of it was phone calls and visits and you get to know doctors, but we both spent a ton of time uh, in support uh, getting support for our daughters. And we were, we were lucky. Uh, we didn't qualify for any aid. But, you know, we got some things fell into our lap. Our our next door neighbor, Shelly, who our second daughter is named after, um, was a special needs uh, teacher Mm -hmm. person in our lives and really was, and had a baby a week, um, her daughter uh, a week uh, older than Shelby. And so she ended up, you know, helping us a lot in terms of taking care of Shelby. So, you know, we had a lot of amazing people in our lives help. And there's some, we didn't have a lot of family, but we did have a lot of, uh, a lot of people help us, but we had to go get it. And that was one of the things we found is you had to advocate, you had to go, you had to hustle, you had to work hard. And that sometimes goes beyond what some families can do if they have multiple kids at home or there's a divorce. So, you know, I began to think a lot about how to deal with crisis, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating because while all this is going on, you have, you're having marriage. You have a daughter who has a lot of needs. You finish graduate school. You have a full-time job at IBM. And I'm, I hear you. You know, you have all this support and that's great. And you're grateful for this neighbor and you're at, but how are you on the day-to-day? Are there certain things psychologically that you think helped you, supported you? I'm, I'm curious about, is there anything that you did that you can point to at that time that said, wow, like, this was helpful. That was helpful. For someone listening to this says, I can barely survive every day. All of the yeah. craziness of my life. Cause it doesn't sound like you were just surviving. You were thriving. You were doing everything you could in your power to help your daughter. You were working had a marriage. Um, you were reaching out to people. You had support from the school. Like what, what strategies do you think helped?
1: Well, a couple things, David. First, when I say, you know, we were, I mean, this is Becky and me. Becky was, mm-hmm as I mentioned earlier, she's just a rock, right? She had a counseling background and uh, we had super open communication about what we both felt was the right thing for our family. I mean, that, you know, we all, all all three had needs, you know, Shelby had obviously needs as she was, you know, uh, really uh, medically challenged. uh, And we both did. And I think we were super open about it. Uh, We both reached out, you know, Becky and I have totally different skills. She's uh, you know, a counselor, I was an engineer, we had, you know, different perspectives on how to think about what help meant. And so I think being so different helped a lot, right? So we looked at problems differently. And we engaged with people differently. I was probably a little more analytic, and sometimes brutal in questioning. And my wife was much more you know, nuanced and soft about how to deal with things. And we needed both. Uh, right. I'll give you an example. You know, we made a really difficult decision when Shelby was probably just turned three that that we were going to have her classified as a code zero patient in Michigan, which meant non-resuscitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, if we, and we had had a lot of situations where it was really, really difficult in the hospital, we didn't know whether she was going to live or die. And we said, you know, we believe in an afterlife. And we think that we don't want to do heroic things. And we had a situation where we had a doctor kind of step over that. Uh, not, you know, just a doctor, a random guy who was there and she were having a crisis in the hospital and he wanted, he probably wanted to do the right thing, but kind of violated the order that we had really spent a lot of time wow. with our minister and friends on. And I had to be, I had to really call that and stop that. And that, you can't imagine how intense that was. So I will tell you, there were a lot of really, really stressful times. I often refer to the six years that she lived as being kind of, uh, kind of in a fog. Yeah. I don't have as good a clarity about those six years. I mean, obviously big points when our other daughters were born, et cetera, but a lot of it was, you know, the taking care of a severely disabled kid takes it just a ton of energy and work. And it's tough.
0: Well, in a lot of marriages and families, I, I think you had mentioned this and they don't make it, they fall apart because of the stress and the, and the um, just the huge demands that it takes. And that that's why I asked you how you did it. Cause I think a lot of people, unfortunately, their relationships or their families don't survive the weight of all of this
1: you know that's exactly right um and i think what happens is and we saw this firsthand and let me just tell the story so our daughter went to a school called the wing Lake school which had been an old elementary school but it was now modified for the very 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 severely disabled kids kids you don't typically see in public they're not ambulatory they, uh, they can't speak um and all the way through i don't know 13 or 14. Um, so a lot of physical therapists, occupational therapists, doctors, and and things like that. And what we found in the morning is when we dropped our daughter off, is there's this parade of cars dropping their kids off. And they were almost always moms. Mm -hmm. Dads were often not around. And what we found is there was a really high, we experienced a, you know, families were really high divorce rate. And there's a lot of writing on this, Uh but, you know, families that have severely disabled kids, a really high divorce rate. I think what has happened a lot, and I really focus on dads, right? And this is why we're talking is yeah. dads often check out, um, you know, they get buried in their work or they, they do other things. And the, the mother has the burden of the disabled child. And that, you know, often doesn't end well, right? Where yeah. one parent holds all the burden uh and sometimes listen, sometimes it has to happen because there's one person working or or the the father needs to uh, bring home the paycheck but often it's uh you well, know dad's not maybe stepping up to a level of responsibility that i think is warranted and needed because dads think about these problems differently
0: and maybe and i, I, I the time this was what the early 90s yeah. to so, so maybe there was a different mindset even even then yeah. but i hear what you're saying they're numbing out they're hiding in their work yeah. it's not my job and that contributes to yeah. the, the family falling
1: apart and, you know, i don't well, i can't i'm not gonna cast blame it's hard
0: have mm-hmm.
1: a disabled child right of any any level of this any concern you know you could get sick it's hard um but i think for the severely disabled it's really pretty brutal um well you know that wasn't our only our only experience with the tragedy unfortunately.
0: Yeah, so so, uh, so you said she sadly passed away when she was six?
1: She was six, yeah. It was uh, the, Shelby. Summer of, yeah, Shelby, Shelby, the summer of her sixth year. Um, you know we had made a decision, it's a really difficult decision to have her live at another house, uh, at a foster house. It really was a, a house with a family who had built their house around taking care of kids with disabilities so it was really uh, the the mother was a um, you know a nurse for the severely disabled we saw it was an open kind of situation we saw our daughter a lot but to us it was a um you know, help that was, came out of nowhere, which was huge because we found, and it was a tough decision to say that somebody yeah. actually can take care of your daughter better than you can. Right. In this case that was, it. but th- and that was when she was four, she died when she was six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now we had two other daughters during that, during that time.
0: Okay. So tell me, tell me, tell me what's next in the story. So she's in the foster home, sadly passes away when she was six. And unfortunately, I know that the sadness and crisis in your life doesn't end there. It
1: doesn't. Um, We we end up having a fourth child No course, all of our children were high risk. After Shelby was born, Shelby was not, but the others were all high risk and you know monitored well. And so we had uh, our two daughters, um, and then we had uh, uh, we got pregnant a fourth time with a son. We had uh, made a decision to have an amniocentesis uh, fairly uh, you know, midstream in pregnancy, and my wife came home after the procedure and uh, noticed that the fluid was leaking and. and the amniotic fluid leaked out. And so my wife spent, I don't know, five weeks in bed trying to restore that fluid, but um it didn't it didn't restore and our our, our son died. And so that was uh you know uh really, really difficult. Um I think that was 07. um and uh you it was know, in two thousand seven. And that uh, so we had a uh, we had a you know, funeral and, and, and Barry Joseph um in O seven and uh, I think at that point said we're probably um you know that's the size of our family and we're good with that. Um but you know we had two two losses of children, uh probably, you know, arguably the toughest thing a family can go through. Um and that, you know, we we had really thought a lot about a third child. Actually, you know, after Shelby had died to have a, a third living child. So it was a you know a decision we had made, and we had been very careful, and and you know I think the lesson that I, that we learned was you know sometimes things happen when you plan them well, things happen, and we didn't blame you know we didn't in either case. We had a lot of lawyers come at us, but we and yeah. uh, we decided in either case, just sometimes things happen. Right? Yeah,
0: of course, as we as we spoke, the like the lawyer and me is like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs>
1: yeah, what. And 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 those are those are decisions we made that other families may not make. But you know, we decided to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I began to, to build more of the narrative about dads in crisis. Right? How did dads get mm-hmm. in crisis? How does this is family crisis? You know? um, and you know, what I found is talking to a lot of other families that we certainly weren't the only family in crisis. You know, all and what we found is that all families go through crisis. They're not evenly distributed.
0: But. So I would think it would be really easy after having this happen twice to kind of start to question what's going on, feel sorry for yourself. Why me? I mean, did that ever come into play?
1: I don't think, I don't think we ever had why me moments. I think what we did is we, um, when we saw other families complain about minor things, we, we, Mm -hmm. uh, it sometimes made us a little irritated. Um, But I think at the end of the day, we recognize that, um, you know, uh, just tough things aren't evenly distributed. You know, we had, we had a couple of really difficult ones. Um, it,
0: made well, it gave to... you a perspective where, like, when people were complaining about, uh, you know, their Starbucks not being uh, yeah. drink-made right.
1: Yeah, there's bigger <laughs> you, things. You had
0: a different version of reality.
1: Tell you what it did do, David. I think it gave us a really good perspective on balance. Mm. Not balance on why balance is important. And that was not just balance and work-life, home-life, but balance between the needs of the family, right? Um, optimizing the family. And you know, what we found is that you know, a lot of times the attention flows to the child or the person with a problem in the family and the others get neglected to the point that, that it shows up later in life. And I think my wife as a counselor mm-hmm. helped us kind of think through that balance issue across our family, which is very important.
0: Yeah, like I could see how that could be problematic if one child needs the extra attention, the other child maybe doesn't, and then you're not paying attention to the other child as much, and then you're creating another problem. And if you're really conscious and aware of everybody's needs, yeah. easier said than done, yeah. then that, that seems, I, I totally understand wh- where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because I mean, you weren't just what I. What, it, Interesting about your story, and it's not over, mm-hmm. you, um, you became a, a partner at, at Ernst & Young. I mean, you were thriving in your career and going through all this and having um, a marriage, and you have uh, two daughters, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. tell, me, tell, me, tell me what they're doing now.
1: Yeah, well, uh, Madison uh, works at a private school in development, Um, actually the school she went to and she loves that she was an English major and in college and our daughter Sydney lives in DC and she is an environmental consultant so both uh, both did well right Um, Mm -hmm. we spent obviously we we were tight as a family right we hunkered down as a family we've always been one of the decisions we made is you know my wife had a successful uh, career in uh, in counseling and and I didn't, as a partner, but uh, you know, I made a decision not to travel and consulting, which yeah, was hard to do. Which, which is which work. is
0: such a almost radical decision, right? I would think. Yeah, after. I was
1: I was lucky that I worked for people that got it, right? They understood mm-hmm. why, and and I worked for a firm, I worked for NY early, and then I left. I came back, but early that uh, allowed um, you know allowed me to to modify my career to do so which is not you know i was really lucky in that regard but what i found also is you got to advocate right Mm -hmm. advocate for themselves and they got to tell the story and and what happens a lot is is that uh, parents don't or a dad doesn't and they get sucked into more work and the burden falls you know on, on, on the spouse um so so that was, uh, you know, I was lucky that I was able to manage, uh, I, I tell you, I went to work uh, after IBM, I went to work for a uh, big utility. I worked for the president of the utility, mm-hmm. running all their internal consulting. And uh, and I told him about our daughter at home, Shelby, and she needed great care. Not only is just an incredible mentor, mm-hmm. but he, he built an office near my house. So wow. I could get home when I needed to. I mean, so I was fortunate. I worked for incredible people. Right? Mm. So, uh, you know, as life went on, our, our daughters did well. Our, our older daughter, kind of phase three, or I guess act three of this story, our older daughter went to college and, um, and came back, was coming back for Thanksgiving, her freshman year. She went to school near Columbus and driving back to Detroit. She said, hey dad, I got to ride home so you don't have to come get me. And she was driving back to Detroit as a passenger in a car that got cut off the road and uh, they were in a really horrific accident. And the driver of that car, the the car my daughter was in, was killed. Hmm. And everybody was hurt. Um, The the boy next to my daughter was very severely injured. My daughter walked out of that without being touched physically. But obviously... She
0: was unscathed somehow, huh?
1: Unscathed. Unbelievable. I went to the car the next day to get the stuff out of the car for the other families. And I couldn't tell what kind of vehicle it was. It was really a terrible crash. My daughter, literally, because of where she sat.
0: Where did she sit? Was she in the back seat? She was in
1: the back right, yeah. you know, passenger back, passenger side. And it was an SUV, but it was really hard to tell that it was an SUV.
0: But, but how traumatic uh, so, for her. She, her friend dies, it's another, so, another tragedy.
1: Another tragedy. So we really thought, uh, you know, again about, and this is a first tragedy for these other families. Uh, who we got to know a bit. Um, you know, sadly, uh, the driver was killed and she was, uh, we didn't know her before, but a great, great person. Uh, the other two people were really solid, um, solid kids, um, all new friends of our daughter. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty traumatic, I mean, obviously a massively traumatic situation for us. Now I had just gone back to EY at that point, Ernst & Young at that point, literally two weeks after I had restarted as a partner and had to ask for time off,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and was able to get it. So again, you know, it's it's being fortunate, um, but also advocating for the needs of my family. Um, and so we took time off. We got a lot of counseling, a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Um, we sought out a lot of help uh, from her school and from her college and from private counselors. And it took a long time uh, for her to kind of re- get repaired. You know, there's there's other parts of the story that are pretty tough after that for for my daughter, which probably wouldn't want to get into. But, you know, it it didn't end there. And at the end of the day, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, three, four really tough things that gave me perspective on crisis and uh, and dad's.
0: One of the things I'm just hearing kind of in between the lines here, what you're saying is this gratefulness, like uh, you're grateful for the help you had. Now, yes, you... You advocated. Yeah. You asked for help when you needed it. You worked together with your wife. You all complemented yeah. each other. You balanced everything. You cared deeply, but but uh, you don't. You're not sitting here saying, feeling sorry for yourself. In fact, just the opposite. You are grateful for the resources, the help, all of the people along the way who were there. And I just want to point that out. That's all. I yeah. just you didn't use that word, but it, it yeah, sure. a lot of a lot of that.
1: I mean, I, I guess we both agree that it's not, there's not a lot of use in in feeling sorry, you know, I, and I guess when, you know, when the crisis happens, you got you know, you're immediately thinking about, what do I need to do now, right? What do I need to do today, this, right now, this moment, or this day, or this week to get through this. remember when my daughter, uh, I remember exactly, you know, you remember exactly where you are when these things happen. I met the gym, I met my locker, my phone rings, I open my locker, it's my daughter screaming saying she was in this accident. Oh, yeah. Just literally, it stepped out of the car and called me. And so I get in my car and I drive down to Columbus, right? And it's just like, what do you need to do right now? So some yeah. of it is, you know, just reaction to a crisis. But, you know, when you have some perspective, you look back and you say, Thank goodness these things happened and and I think we've always both had a positive outlook on on life in general.
0: Wait a minute, did you say thank goodness these things happened?
1: Well, thank goodness that some you know that things happened in health in getting help right Oh okay and not thank goodness a thing that bad things happened, but that there were people there circumstances happen afterwards, mm-hmm. we advocated for ourselves and found a great doctor, or mm-hmm. we had a school. We lived in a place that has school that could help our daughter.
2: Yeah.
1: Or uh, you know, there was a professor at my daughter's college who really cared for her and helped her. You know, there. It, I'll tell you equally, David. There's some. Sometimes you, you have a something happen to your family, and not everybody is able to step up. Yeah. And friend we lost some friends. You know, we lost friends who really couldn't either didn 't want to or couldn't deal with our crisis, you know, maybe it was too emotionally difficult for them yeah. and that, that that there are parts that are sad i'm not going to i'm not going to kid you there's times where we both get sad so but you
0: had these possible. friends, and they kind of decided they didn 't want to be on the train anymore because yeah. i don 't know did did they ever say why or are you are you are we more speculating that this was too much too stressful
1: yeah, speculating you know people fade away. Yeah. Right? I mean, it happens in everybody's lives, but I remember one situation where we had a relative come over, and my wife was holding our daughter, I was holding our daughter at the front mm-hmm. door, and Winter opened the door, uh, and, and the, the relative didn't even acknowledge Shelby's presence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, hey, I recognize, you know, it's tough for people to deal with uh, other people's tragedies and crises, yeah. so we lost some friends, but you know, we also gained a lot. We gained some great mm-hmm. friends over the, over the years. We, as I mentioned, we named our second daughter after our neighbor, uh, some of our best friends. Uh, oh, wow. Who have been helpful to us for 30 years, right? Um, and we went to their daughter's wedding. who uh, was just a little bit older than Shelby. And mm-hmm. we've always been close. So we, we were very fortunate um, yeah. uh, as well.
0: There were some gifts. There were some of these really deep connections, community, yeah. and, and people. That you met, yeah. No, I can just imagine how hurtful that would be if uh, friends of mine were saying, Yeah, we're not uh, we don't want to engage or be as close anymore because you're dealing with this, this stressful thing, and um, that would be hurtful,
1: it would be tough, yeah, it was tough, right? And um, and some you know, over the years, some some came back, I think, uh, you know, but you're, I mean, everybody's friends change over the years, that, yeah. Again, fortunate I had I've had a group of close seven eight close friends uh, back from high school and college. We still get together a couple times a year, and they've always been extremely supportive, right? And and mm-hmm. and have been uh, of the things that our family has gone through. So very very helpful um, people that we've leaned on in the past, right? Um, and you know I'll circle back to to Becky again. You know having yeah. her as a rock. Kind of go through these situations and not be bitter has been, um you know, helped me a ton. Right, lots of reasons. We I think we could have been bitter, or looked for fault, and we decided to look forward and say, how do we make the best of what we have? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I'll tell you, it, it's it's tough for families that, and as I mentioned, everybody runs into a crisis, right? I mean, your parents get old, or you know, a sibling is sick. Um, and there are no manuals out there for how you deal. Right. With it. And that's, uh, and, and a lot of times as, as, I think we talked, there's no, you know, there's a little bit of stigma, right? A little bit of stigma on dad specifically asking for help. Right. And I think it's so important to be able to reach out and say, I need help. right? This thing's tough. I've not been through it before. I need somebody that can help me. And we did a lot of that.
0: We, when we spoke, we, um, I think I mentioned because you talk about things falling apart in crisis. That book, I guess, Pima Pima Shodron. Yeah. The title of the book isn't If Things Fall Apart, it's When Things Fall Apart. And that book is basically all about, um, oh, they're going to fall apart. And you know, basically, we have this illusion of control, and we're all kind of out there metaphorically in the middle of the ocean on a sailboat a- alone. In a way. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that you don't have friends and connections, but that's kinda of what it really is. And it's it's not if it's it's when and I guess for you, unfortunately. It's a few times. Yeah. A few oh, times. I mean,
1: look yeah. at look at our world today. Yeah. People going through COVID, right? I mean that's when is for a lot of people right now. Right. I mean exactly. it's it's now is when they're going through crisis. So it's it's a, it's it's tough. Yeah. And and by the way, I am going to read that book because it sounds like a good, a
0: good it could. It's it's a great book. I mean, the thing, she did this interview, I told you this on, um you know, Oprah Winfrey had the Super Soul Sunday podcast. She did this interview that I, it was like about 35 minutes, I probably listened to 10 or 15 times. It was one of the most impactful things of um when she interviewed Pima. You probably can just listen to that one because something about it just blew my mind. And I'll never forget it. Probably listened to it a few times a year. Um, yeah, there is no, there is no handbook, but you, like if, um, so what are you doing now? You're, you're, you're retired, but you're also a consultant. And Uh, like, if you were to people listening to this, let's say they're going through, maybe it's not the exact same thing, but maybe they lost their job. Maybe they're dealing with all kinds of stuff at home. What do you think you would say? Like if you were mentoring someone, a father, by the way, I think you'd make an extraordinary coach. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and I know there's no manual, but I'm hearing so, I'm like actually writing notes. Some of the things I wrote down was, you know, asking for your needs, being an advocate. Yep. I love how you and your wife complimented he- each other, that you made the best of it. There's some gratefulness. Um, You're dealing with the urgent, right? You said, look, this is what we have to do to d- survive right now. Yep, And um asking for help you had the neighbor you had these wonderful people you work for that build an office for you that said you don't have to travel like what comes up like if someone to say man i am a mess what um you've been through basically hell like what what comes up when if if, if you were to mentor someone who's going through some stuff
1: oh listen you know a lot of people don't Freely talk about the, the tragedies in their lives, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't tell when you look at somebody what they're going through for sure. Right. Um, um, and, uh, but everybody goes through, through some things. Uh, a lot of people aren't willing to go ask for help. It's right. Uh, I, I think what, and this may sound a little trite, but yeah, people need somebody to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Just, just to, you know, say, hey, I have heard you, have you thought through, or how could I help? you know, having somebody to lean on is so important. And I think in our society, dads, you know, are responsible for kind of gutting it out themselves and figuring it out in all honesty. You know, we we were not medically trained people, right? We had no idea all this stuff that we began to learn about our daughter was all new to us, right? We had no doctors are no history of any medical stuff. And we had to learn about seizure disorders and cerebral palsy and different ways to take, mm. and, and you can't do that on your own. You just can't, you have to talk to people. So my, you know, my advice um, or my, my view is as being a, and I mentor a lot of people from a work standpoint,
2: Yeah.
1: is to offer that year, right? Make sure that somebody can get out what they've been thinking about and going yes. through and I think that's tough for men to do in our society. Really tough, and really tough for dads to do. You uh, may do it with a brother or sister, but outside the family, somebody that may be more objective, I think it's tough to do.
0: Because when you're asking for help, what are you doing? You're being vulnerable. vulnerable. And yeah. we are not a very vulnerable society, gender. And I don't even think maybe it's not even gender. I'm just, I know women who are, don't like vulnerability, vulnerability stuff. Yeah. So I think there's this idea I'm, I'm weak, i weak. It looks make, makes me look weak, or I can't. You know,
1: and I always tell our kids, it, it, it's actually you have to be strong to ask for help, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to say I, I I don't know the answer to this. I need I need somebody to help me work through this. And it was just, you know, I've always been kind of an inquisitive guy. So I've always asked a lot of questions, but, uh, it was never big on, you know, a big ego hit for me to ask for help. Um, but my, my view is you don't know where help's going to come from, but if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Right. And, uh, and we, we asked a lot, um, and, and, and we got a lot. And some of that help was stuff we didn't take advantage of. And, and a lot of it was, but, you know, I think we've always had this attitude of being open about um, what we know and what we can uh, mm-hmm. manage and what we can't uh, and maybe you know an example of you know not only being ready for the cri- dealing with the crisis in the immediate but you know, a lot of times you got to think about with crisis the real long term i remember when you know when shelby was alive you know estate planning right. when we were 32 and we were forced to begin to think about really long-term planning what do you do with a very disabled uh, child who is in their 20s and 30s and 40s and what's the cost of that how do you manage how do you prepare
0: you're, you're playing those- both games you're playing the short-term urgent probably. gosh I got to take it to the hospital the long term these it's it's incredible the balls you're holding um what i love that you keep doing and you, you probably don't realize it, you're not saying I, i i you're saying we 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 yeah. and tell like as you and your wife, 36 years, I know you said she's your rock and you all complimented each other. Like, what do you think? Are there any specific practices or things that you did to maintain the connection for so many years during such crises? Like how did you all become such a strong team? And the reason I ask is I don't think even with a strong relationship, I think it requires work. And this podcast is about relationships. So what kind of, uh, Nuggets, can you give us on on marriage? Because you seem like a very successful couple.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, we complement each other's skills, right? We're Mm -hmm. we're totally different, as I mentioned before. You know, I think we've always had a pretty open uh, dialogue with each other about fears and uh, accomplishments and and needs and expectations. Uh, Actually, we're going to be talking in the next day about kind of financial planning. Not the most topics but um you know, I, we've, always, we've always been pretty open about that and and, pre, and but i think the thing that uh, uh you know shelby shelby's birth mm-hmm. death uh, galvanized us to say it's about our kids and we need to think about our kids um yeah. and we need to make sure that they have a a healthy life when our daughter our older daughter had her car accident you know, she got a lot of attention, and our younger daughter was in high school and, and, and doing great in high school. But there were some times where she felt she wasn't getting the attention she needed. Um, when they both graduated from college, uh, Ma- uh, our older daughter, Madison, is in Detroit, and Sydney was in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, a long ways away, but, um, you know, we, we were very conscious that we needed to be out there a lot. Um, and so we, we, that issue of balance was really f- at the forefront mm-hmm. of how we thought about the family. And that's yeah. the balance of all of our needs. Um, you know, we uh, mm-hmm. saying that no one person's no more important than the other. And so, no, I mean, maybe that's maybe, maybe that doesn't lead to the best outcomes for all families, but for ours it did, right? I think we mm-hmm. really looked at the, the totality of our family and how do we spend a lot of time. And we're, I don't, we're not helicopter parents by any means. Right. We spend a lot of time thinking about how to help our kids when they need it. And now they're pretty independent. but... You know, one of the things we talked about was resilience. And, um, you know, I think our kids are unusually resilient because they've gone through some things where they've had to learn how to be resilient. You know, walking a disabled sister in a wheelchair with everybody staring at you and you're four years old, you begin right. to think about, hey, this doesn't really bother me. This, I, I can deal with this. And that helps you um, uh, over time. And so our daughters have really become people that gave give back to their communities that care about others you know a lot of good things have come out uh for them about Mm -hmm. the family acting kind of in balance
0: as horrible as it as it is or was um there's gifts and build these resilient muscles it radically changes your perspective appreciate um things probably a lot less complaining about the little things and
1: Well, Um, they complain. They complain. They complain. They complain. But no, little 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 things are not. I mean, you know, you got a perspective of having gone through some big things. Little things don't mean that much. Yeah.
0: No, I love the central. A lot of this. Your central theme is harmony, balance, integration. Your job, your family. As 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 we started this conversation, your bio is your first thing. Is your wife and children, family. Not that work wasn't important. Yeah, wasn't, clearly but your family was very central. Um, I'm looking forward to you. I think you should write a book.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start thinking about that.
0: Write the book. We want to hear about your book, Dad's in Crisis. Um, wh- Anything else before we end that we didn't cover? What else should people know um, well, that you want to offer?
1: I, yeah, David, I, I would just say, yeah, and yeah, obviously I'm writing some things. i started to put some things on uh, Facebook and, and LinkedIn. I would just say for dads, you, know, you never know when you're going to have a crisis, but when you're in one, um you know it's it's about getting resources it's about getting help and there's a lot out it, it, there's especially with the internet the way it is there's a ton of help out there yeah and, um you know knowing that that you don't have to face these challenges independently on your own is probably the most important message and that's what i would leave with people is get help right get, get yeah. help,
0: uh, when, you, when you did it like i, th- I guess there was probably almost no internet in the beginning and yeah. and you, you so you really had to be resourceful you couldn't just go on dr google and look for Those groups that were available
1: yeah and you know i mean we, you know you we were resourceful we used the phone you know, things that people don't do today but yeah. you know you, we, we were able we were lucky that we were able to both find you know work with each other to find out that's not the case everywhere so a lot of times you know social workers and you know community service folks are out there um you know companies offer a lot of a lot of services today that, that yeah. they have in the past, I would say lean on them, you know, with a, mm-hmm. with a big lean, um, go get help because you can't, um, can't necessarily weather these things when they come up on you all of a sudden. Right.
0: And it takes a village when you're not going through a crisis. So I can't even imagine how much help you need during a crisis. So,
1: well, listen, I'll let you read, I'll let you read the book when I finish it.
0: So yeah, you know, please oh, do.
1: And, uh, and, uh,
0: you, if people let's, if people want to talk to you, where should can they reach out? Where should they reach out?
1: Yeah, they can get me on LinkedIn or uh, on Facebook um, uh, can get me either way or uh, my email I can give you my email. It's sure. Sanders 10 so those two S's there. Mm-hmm. Sanders10 at Gmail. I'd be happy to talk to anybody that, that wants to. Um, you know I think giving it forward is, is mm-hmm. something that I'm able to do now uh it's because other people yeah right so that's a, i appreciate thanks
0: it thanks for paying it forward here today and taking the time and you know dave and i don't know each other friend recommended we talk and i'm really really glad he did because i uh sad fascinating and it kind of gives me a lot of perspective too i really appreciate it and and i'm i'm not kidding i really i encourage you to write that book i'll do that
1: thank you so much i really appreciate it. Have a
0: great it. day have a good long good. weekend Thanks again to David Sanders for sharing his story, Um, a very vulnerable story, a very sad story, but one that's really important. I really appreciate his time. Thank you very, very much for listening, and I hope you all can take something out of that and have a little different perspective about when things fall apart. See you guys next time, and again, I really appreciate if you would give us a five-star review a subscribe. I hope you're well, safe, and healthy.